0: Welcome to the Pirate Radio Podcast, featuring special guests discussing a wide range of topics and personal stories. The Pirate Radio Podcast is presented by White Claw Hard Seltzer. Nothing tastes quite like it. Visit whiteclaw.com today. White Claw Hard Seltzer, proudly distributed by Coastal Beverage. Please drink responsibly. Now live from the Pirate Radio Studio, here's
1: Shirley Rhodes. Hello and welcome to another episode of the Pirate Radio Podcast featuring professional wrestler Action Mike Jackson, the Pirate Radio podcast is brought to you by White Claw Hard Seltzer. On today's podcast, The Voice, Jeff Charles, will have a great discussion with Action Mike Jackson on his professional wrestling career and what he's up to now. So sit back and relax. Today's Pirate Radio podcast presented by White Claw Hard Seltzer starts right now. We
0: are pleased to be joined by professional wrestler Action Mike Jackson and you may remember the Alabama native from his days in the early 1980s on Georgia Championship Wrestling on the Superstation in Atlanta. WTBS he wrestled in multiple territories for the NWA as well as WCW and the AWA. Today at age 71 he's in the squared circle still going strong and back on National television with impact wrestling on access what an inspiration he is to all ages and what a treat to have him with us action mike jackson welcome sir how you doing
2: Hey, man, it's my pleasure to hear
0: from you guys, and I'm excited
2: about being here. But let me, let, I got to correct one thing. Okay. I wish I would have started in the 1980s, but
0: I started in the 1970s for Georgia <laughs> Championship. So, so give me 10 more years old. I'll give you 10 <laughs> more years. So, let me do the math here. So, uh, 50, 50 plus years, right? In, uh, in the squared circle? This is my 52nd year. Wow. That's pretty amazing. Yeah. Well, yeah, and, and that's wrestling. That's not wrestling. I got in
2: really about 53 because I I got into it in a little bit different way before the wrestling started. So really, it's about 53 years in the business.
0: That is incredible. And we want to go back, Mike, and talk all about those years. But I wanted to talk about what you're up to today first because you have had a rebirth of sorts back on national television. So let's start there. Tell us about your appearance on Impact Wrestling and, and what the future looks like for you now with Impact.
2: Well... I'm hoping everything, if this COVID thing will ever go away or whatever it's going to do, and the serum will work or vaccines will work or whatever. They called me not too long ago and told me that as soon as this is over, you know, they want me to come back. Well, that, what that was is they called me and asked me to do that, and I thought, man, that's great for me because it gets me back on TV. You know, TV is your exposure. Anytime you get on TV, that's a goldmine. So... I told him I would love to do it, and Johnny Swinger was the guy. I, I don't know if he, him, and Tommy Dreamer, Tommy Dreamer's a good friend of mine, and they came up with this idea. Johnny Swinger was trying to get all the young guys in the back, like to carry his bag, since he was an old hand, you know, and a, and a veteran, and they get his coffee and drive him around and stuff like that, and they wouldn't do it. So the idea was that that he was going to bring a, a young buck, which are the Jacksons, Matt and Nick Jackson, and. But he didn't say Matt Jackson. He said M. Jackson. Didn't tell him who it was. So when it came out, was a, it was going to be kind of a comedy thing, I think. I'm not sure about this, but this is the way I perceived it. That, that they thought, you know, the, the, uh, the bosses there thought, well, okay, we'll try this thing. It'll probably be a comedy. It won't work. And, you know, it won't, it won't hurt anything. And we'll just go on about our business. Well, when I did the match, uh, I don't know if you saw the match. I did. But it, it got over like a million. It went viral. And uh, they called me back. As soon as I walked out of that, out of that ring and back to the dressing room, the, uh, the boss came to me and said, look, can you do the next three TV tapings for us? Because I, I think they thought, 71 years old, I'll just go out there and wallow around and not do anything. But, you know, I'm diving through ropes. I'm walking the top rope. I'm, You know, I, I'm doing hercicrona head scissors. And, you know, and, and it, it amazed them. And, and the whole locker room came out. And, and 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 gave me a, a standing ovation when I came back there. You know, I never I never had that happen in my lifetime when I was full time or WWF or whatever. But they uh, gave me a, a good ovation, and then the guy asked me to come back, and then I, I got set for three more dates, and then that's that was the second week of March, and the COVID hit and now they went to, you know, no audience and so they told me that, you know, just can't do it right now with no audience, so they called me the other day and said, hey, well, this thing is over, we want you to come right back and, and uh, you know, and go to work with them, so I'm looking forward to it if the COVID ever goes away.
0: Well, it'll go away at some point and that was a very impressive match that you did have, Mike, because I did I did watch it and it's pretty amazing, all the things you do at age 71, a pretty amazing what you do for anybody wrestling today at any age, so that's what you're doing today, Let, let's talk about now from the very beginning and and your life and growing up in alabama when did you really get hooked on wrestling
2: well i went to phillips high school in birmingham alabama that's where i live in birmingham and phillips high school is right down it's probably two blocks from the batwell city auditorium where they have wrestling on monday night i don't know if you've ever been to this area i have Batwell Auditorium was the big Monday night. Nick Goulas was a promoter. It was every Monday night. It was NWA. Uh, guys like Tojo Yamamoto, Lynn Rossi, Mario Milano, Korska Joe, the Blue Inferno. Those were the big names of the day. And I would go down. At, at, I graduated from high school in 67. So every day, every Monday, I would just leave, go, leave school to go right down and get my tickets. And i sit in ringside for 52 straight weeks. Uh, every week I was at the same spot and I got to know some of the guys. I got to say where they hang out, I go to where they had, you know, supper. I talked to some of the guys and finally got involved in it. And then the referee was a guy named Bob Holland. And of course in in those days, I don't know how old you are, so you may not remember this, but in the old days, they didn't have a three matches. You know, they'd have a they'd have an opening match, a one-fall match, then they'd have a, a single match of two out of three. Then they'd have their two out of three main event tag team, and that was it. Right. And only had one referee. And and the referee was uh, – I got to be good friends with his son. They used to do the, uh, the the Channel 42 on Saturday night with the TV to lead into Monday night and, you know, out of Nashville. And they, they did that in Birmingham. And so when when his son decided he had it was going to college and he didn't have, they offered me the job. So I set up the ring. So I lo- I really learned from the very bottom, which it really was good for me. I set up the ring. I parked cars. You know, I I kept time for the matches for the for the commentator to say what you know how this match lasted five minutes and 18 seconds or whatever. So I was in it in a little bit of different ways. And then the then the referee was Bob Holland. I said. He uh, worked at a bakery company, and he we were doing spot shows, and I know you know what that is. That's sure. Just going to some towns, you know, every once in a while, and they started running some spot shows around Birmingham. And he was, you know, he was tired. He was working all night, so he said, "Look, can you go with me set the ring up and stuff?" I did, and then and then uh, uh, finally he was too tired. He said, "Look, can you referee this match?" So I refereed a match, and so I, I kind of got into it from the very very bottom. And then then after I refereed for a while, I thought, nah, I want to do this wrestling. So I I got with an independent group. I I couldn't get with Nick Doolis; He wouldn't hire me. So I got with an independent group and started doing little shows around here for practically nothing. Did that for 13 months. Uh, I I tell you exactly. I bet I think I bet one hundred (laughs) thirteen dollars and twenty five cents in all those months. But you know, I didn't care. I mean, this was like all young wrestlers. If there's anybody out there listening to this, young wrestlers, I mean, they'll tell you the same thing. I ain't about the money. It's just about me getting to do what my dream. Well, the dream got old after about thirteen months, and I thought I need to make some money for this stuff. So. Nick Goulas hired me and my tag team partners got him Tony Ledoux and we did it. We, We were the Birmingham duo and we wrestled full time, moved to Nashville and we wrestled full time every night, sometimes two, three times on Saturday, you know, do TV and then go to a house show and, So that's kind of pretty much how it started. We quit our jobs and, and, you know, hey, went off to win the world. We're going to be the next champions of the world.
0: That's amazing. Here we are now, 53 years later. We're visiting with Action Mike Jackson, a professional wrestler. And Mike, you were not the biggest guy in the world then or even today. So, how many times were you told by the promoters and the people who ran the wrestling business you were too small?
2: Well,. At first, that's the way it was. But in the in my day, when I got in, my first match was 1972, June of 72, and everybody wasn't six foot five and 300 pounds and run a four forty. I mean, uh, if you were 225 back in those days, you were a pretty good sized man. Of course, there was Andre and Haystacks Calhoun and some of those guys, just monsters. But most of the guys were, you know, anywhere from 200 to 225. So i I only weighed 145 when I started but I got up to 200 working out and and, and, and eating the right stuff and but it was just too big for my frame so uh, in the beginning it, it wasn't that big of a deal because you know there wasn't a whole whole lot of big guys in the business it was pretty much everybody the same size so what? it worked out pretty good and I could do some stuff and that was you know that's what they were looking for if you were small that's why I'm doing this what I'm doing today i, I i'm only I'm seventy one but I know if I don't go out there and if I don't jump through ropes and I don't do Herka Coranas and I don't walk top rope, nobody's gonna hire what are they gonna hire me for? I can't body slam anybody. And you know I can't suplex anybody. I mean that's just that's a muscle thing that, that I just don't do. So my, my deal is to you know, is to move quick, to to do stuff that nobody else is doing, hopefully and the good thing I was doing this I was doing this in the 70's and they're doing it now in the 2021's and they think they they invented it I was doing <laughs> it 50 years ago yeah
0: absolutely Mike uh, not, not only uh, have you been uh, so accomplished in the wrestling profession but you're also an educated man so tell us a little bit about your education I know you've got a couple masters degrees
2: I do I have two masters degrees in education and, in physical education and education leadership I was a principal for school I taught school for about 30, 30 years off and on but when I was, I, I got the education because I knew, and, and you young guys out there listening to this, you could take this to the bank. Say, "Oh man, Mike Jackson told me, and it really happened." You're going to get hurt in this business. I mean, there's, there's no, I don't care if people say it's not real, it's a myth. I don't care what they say. You're going to get hurt, and I knew that one day I would need this education to fall back on. So well, I did my full time stint for several years, and then I started doing. You know the TVs with Dusty and 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 Bill Watts and people like that and and going over to AWA and Carlos Colon. I did Puerto Rico and stuff, so I, I could teach school and still take off a day or two and go do that. So it, it worked out good for me. But I did my full time stint, and and that's pretty much what I do for a living now. But. uh, that's that's pretty much the way I I looked
0: at it I wanted to ask you about so many of the great so many of the legends that you wrestled through the years and you and I talked about this uh, off the air the other day when we visited on the phone Ivan Koloff Uh retired to Greenville Uh, North Carolina where we're doing this show and Ivan was a friend uh, of the program we had him on a number of times got to know him and his wife Renee very well of course we lost Ivan about three years ago but just a wonderful wonderful man I wanted to ask you about Ivan and, and any recollection you have of wrestling him and what he was like as a person well
2: when i first met him i first saw him i, I, I i'm gonna be we spoke at a church together and i i shared this little testimony about ivan so ivan could uh, uh, ivan if he's up in heaven listening he won't be mad at me but, uh, <laughs> he uh the thing we did is when i saw him i thought man this guy he looks old he looks like he's out of shape i believe i can go out there i believe i can just tear him up i believe i can blow him up in a few minutes he liked to kill me. That man was in the best shape of anybody I believe I'd ever seen. He never got tired, and he never slowed down. Everything he did was some kind of movement, and it's what they like for TV. You know, they want they want you to be moving. They don't want you to lay around with a headlock on TV. You know, you got to have some movement, action on TV. But he was one of the best I'd ever – I bet I roused him in tag teams or single matches I, probably at least 40 times, you know. Yeah. Uh, like I said, we spoke, we did, we did some fan fest together. And, uh, and he and I spoke at a church over in Rome, Georgia together. He had a great testimony. I get, I get, I just kind of opened up with a little testimony and prayer, and then he would come in and do the main service. But, uh, he was a super, super guy. We got to be really, really close friends over the years, and, man, I was really sorry when he passed away.
0: We're visiting with Action Mike Jackson, over 50 years in the square circle, still wrestling today is a professional wrestler in impact wrestling and in independent organizations in the Southeast. Mike, there are a number of guys on my list here I wanted to ask you about and uh, get your thoughts yeah. on. And, of course, in, in these parts, uh, Rick Flair is such a big name, and he's beloved by a lot of people here. He had such an incredible following when he was wrestling in the yeah. Carolinas. Uh, What do you remember about Ric Flair?
2: Ric Flair, to me, was one of the greatest – I wrestled about five or six world champions, Lou Fez, Les Thornton, some of those guys. But Ric Flair was probably the most flamboyant one of of all. And and he and I got to be really, really good friends over the years. Because, you know, back in the day – and this is what I tell young guys, and I I work a lot of independent shows, and I don't understand it. And, guys, if you're listening out there, keep keep booking me, please. But please understand what I'm thinking – You know, now there's 56 world champions. Everybody's got a world champion. Well, if I'm not mistaken, there's only one world, you know. And back in the day, Ric Flair was the world champion. Came out of the NWA, Bob Geigel, right there out of St. Louis, and he was the world champion. They didn't have 10 world champions, they only had one and he would go to Japan and defend it. And he would go he'd go to Australia and defend it. He'd come to the United States. But When he would come to like Continental in the area that I live in, you know, since I lived here, I'd take him to the airport and I'd take him to the hotel, pick him up. Just just stuff that I respected him for. But uh, he was to me the very best. And, and I don't know if you know if you've seen this, but I've got a match on on Facebook that somebody put on there or on the internet of me against him. Back yes. in 1988, was a match of the, of the week. Yeah. And, and he scared me. I'll be honest with you. I put the figure four on him. I suplexed him over the top rope. I hit. I, I hit him with a punch. He went over the top rope backwards on the floor. This is the world champion, and I'm a nobody. You know, I was scared to death that that uh, that they were going to fire me when I got back in the back. <laughs> back but uh, he called everything. I, I I didn't say a word. I respected him so much that I knew I didn't have to say anything. Whatever he said, do I did.
0: Yeah, so, I bet so.
2: <laughs> but he was he was probably as far as as the the, the best wrestler or you know, I wrestled Lou Fez it was like pulling teeth and I, I love Lou Fez the death and don't get me wrong, he had a whole different style but if you wrestle Luthers, you better be ready to wrestle. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. Exactly. <laughs> my Flair was a little bit more flamboyant. he did a little bit more, you know, he was the he was the head scissors, the backdrop and you know, guys and the, the elbows dropping and all this kind of stuff that Luthers didn't do. So it was a different, but to me it was one of the greatest without a doubt. And and, and the class in the class act. I know he's had a lot of problems and he's he's got himself together and doing stuff. I was on a fan test with him not too long ago and he hugged my neck. So, you know, he respects me, and I definitely respect him.
0: Mike, I wanted to ask you about Vince McMahon, as I'm sure you are aware. Vince McMahon is a graduate of East Carolina University. When you and I visited the other day, I mentioned to you that I'm the voice of the Pirates, and I've been here a long time broadcasting the football games and basketball games at ECU. And Vince graduated from East Carolina University in the 60s. His wife, Linda, graduated from ECU. They're both Eastern North Carolina people from New Bern and from Havelock. And what an incredible career he has had. Have you had any interaction over the years with Vince McMahon?
2: I worked for WWF from it was WWF at that time. I worked for them from '88 to '92, and and I'm going to be honest with you, I, I didn't go to all their shows. I didn't do WrestleManias. I wish I would have, but I, they didn't. I was never that big of a name, but I did a lot of TVs. Anytime they would come north or or, or south, I should say, they would come to Mississippi or Florida, you know, uh, uh, Georgia, Tennessee, Alabama, Mississippi. I would I would I I had a bunch of guys, uh, several guys that worked for me, and we would go do the TV for them. So. I worked for Vince McMahon for about five years, and I'll be honest with you. I'll tell you one quick story. I I spoke, or he spoke to me one time in five years, one time. And that was, we were passing in the hall, I was sitting on the thing, and there was a guy that was with me, was smoking a cigarette, and Vince Vince stopped and looked at me and said, Is he with you? I said, Yes, sir. He said, Tell him to put that cigarette out. And that's the only <laughs> words we ever said to each other in five years.
0: Wow. That's pretty <laughs> so amazing. He was
2: I understand that. You know, he was when I was there it was Randy Savage, Andre, Hulk. Uh, those guys, and, and, you know, he was in there with those guys. He wasn't, you know, he wasn't interested in a, in a guy just there to do TV, you know. So, I understood that. I, I don't hold any grudges, and he probably wouldn't know my name if somebody said it, you know. But well, he signed several checks for me, which I was happy.
0: Yeah, I bet so. Well, you know, uh, it's a totally different game and totally different business now, Mike. Nobody knows that better than you, because you've been in the business so many years. So, I wanted to get your thoughts on what it was like getting into the business when you did uh, in the early 70s, and, of course, at that time, kayfabe was was very big and the business was very yeah. much guarded the sport was guarded and then it became entertainment sports entertainment with vince mcmahon and, and wwe so can you talk about the evolution of wrestling what it was like when you got into it and what it's like today
2: it's a whole different ball game you hit the nail on the head i ter- I train guys and i teach them that k nobody knows what that means anymore you know I, it's amazing i do a lot of independent shows and i'll go to these shows and and, and there'll be kids there, 15 years old with kick pads and tennis shoes on and they, they train last week and now they're in the main event this week at these shows <laughs> and you know it, it, it's a whole different world when i got in i remember i remember many nights going to Battle auditorium to talk to nick goulas about maybe getting in in the business with him and and he wouldn't do it that's why i went that's why i started doing independent show i i I call them outlaw shows, but they were independent shows. I started doing those because he wouldn't, you know, they wouldn't talk to me. You know, he he didn't have anything to do with me. Not only till I did an independent show, and this is a funny story, This, but this is really true of what you're talking about. He would never talk to me. I mean, he would always say, yeah, just t- hang around. We'll talk to you in a few minutes. That's that deal. But, you know, you'd sit and sit and sit, and finally the show would be over, and you'd go home. I went out I went out the back of the restroom, room upset many times. I never even got a chance to talk to him. So when I went to independent shows, well, in those days, they had an Alabama Boxing and Wrestling Commission. They have it now, but they didn't have it for a lot of years. But they did have it back in those days. So what we would do, we would go run a show, and we didn't have a license. We couldn't afford the license, so we'd go run a show and hope nobody stopped us, and we'd run the show and get out. Well, he knew the show a show was running, so he sent some of his people to watch the show, to, you know, to come back and to report to him who was on that thing, and, and did he have a license and all that sort of thing. Well, these two guys go back and say, Nick, there's two guys that you guys have got to get full-time for your territory, and one of them was me. So then he talks to me. So he, he, he signs me and my partner. We moved to Nashville. That, that, that's the way it is. But there's no protection of the business anymore. It's been exposed by everybody in the world. And, and what I tell these guys that I work with all the time, if we kill the business, what business are we going to have? What are we going to do? I mean, now Vince McMahon's going to run here, uh, Ring of Honor's going to run theirs, TNA's going to run theirs, AEW they're going to run theirs, and they're going to make money because they got backers behind them. But what about independent shows? If the independent shows dies, the independent wrestlers have nowhere to go. Does yeah. that makes sense. Sure. I mean, that's exactly – We don't protect it at all. I do. I don't. If if I work with if I work with some guys. Uh, and I tell them, I said, you you know, you get in this car and you drive down the road. Somebody can pick you up or whatever the case might be, but you don't hear about that anymore. You know, these guys are all you know, all out eating together, and you know they're all they're all standing there after the show, and there's people still hanging around, and they're all talking. They just wrestled each other. It's just. It's a whole different world. They don't have the respect for the business that they need. A lot of yeah. not everybody,
0: but a lot of people. I agree with you, Mike. I really do agree with you. I wanted to ask you about AEW. You mentioned that. I find myself every Wednesday night tuning into the show. I think they've got a really good product, and they it's do. really now getting off the ground, as you mentioned, with the Con family that owns the Jacksonville Jaguars in the in the NFL. Uh, just your thoughts on AEW and what they're doing
2: i i watch you a little bit i i don't watch wrestling as much as i used to because like with with wwe and so there's so much talking and there's so you know it starts at seven o'clock and they start wrestling at, at eight fifteen. 15 yep. talk for nine 15 minutes but i do watch some of the matches and i respect those guys they got some really good talent those guys are out there busting their tail uh you know trying to do that hoping as COVID gets away so they can start putting people back in the buildings but uh, I think they've got a really good organization. It's to me, it's like Impact, and I notice they're working together now. I they are Johnny Swinger a lot, and he says, you know, a lot of their guys are going to AEW, a lot of AEW guys are coming over there. So, and that's a good thing. I, mean, I if these guys can work together and help each other out, you know, uh, I, I think it's good, especially during this COVID thing. Now, when the COVID's over, they may all go back to being, you know, just their own little territories or whatever. But I think they got a good program. I think it's just kind of right up there with Impact. I think they got a heck of a show.
0: Mike, I wanted to ask you about your workout routine because, again, you're, you're such a great inspiration to people of all ages. And uh, right before we called you today, you told me you just got out of the gym. So at age 71, what's your workout routine like and how serious are you about it? I go
2: every day. Even on Sunday after church, I go somewhere and work out. at the fire station or my gym or wherever the case is. You know, I don't lift a lot of heavy weights because I'm not strong and I'm not trying to be. I just try to tone up what I've got. And for '71, I look okay. I, I'm not. I probably won't be in any magazines anywhere. But I feel like I look fairly well for '71. But uh, I do a lot of cardio. That's one thing I do. I do a lot of the bicycle. I do two miles on the bicycle every day pretty fast and then i do at least on the treadmill at least you know probably half a mile or something like that you know full speed just to just to keep the cardio and the heart going so i i believe in working out hard as i can i can i take some good supplements and i take vitamins every day and you know but i will say this to you uh I, i i I can work out every day, but the good Lord's blessed me. I'm really blessed. My health's been good. My cholesterol is good. My blood pressure is is, is almost perfect. Maybe my doctor says, you know, he even says, you know, all my patients were like this at young ages, you know. So, watch what you eat and do and stuff like that but i believe in it pretty pretty much but the good lord has really blessed me on this and helped me out health-wise
0: well what is amazing is the way you can walk the tight uh, the top rope all the way around the ring and if folks go uh, to uh, the internet and they can see you do that uh you're doing that at age 71 which is absolutely incredible have you always mike been able to do that well
2: if i don't fall off it looks real good <laughs> <laughs> but i have been uh, i have fallen off several times but uh when I was when I was working my way through college, before I got into wrestling, when I was eighteen years, I was working for the highway department, and I, I just always had this, this this sense of balance. I guess the good Lord gave me that too. I guess I don't know. But I, when I would work, we were working on these uh, interstates. They, they were building in these high beams, and nobody in the in the in the. the the party would would walk these things you had to measure them with these rods and all and you had to walk and I was probably 100 150 foot above ground and nobody would get on these things And they weren't very wide they were probably all maybe six eight inches wide well it didn't bother me so i just took the thing and did it so when i started wrestling i thought you know i saw the undertaker do one step or two off that thing in which he's that was tremendous man that age and, and and many hip surgeries he had he's one of my favorites but uh, I thought, I'm going to try it all the way around. And I figured if I hold that guy's hand and twist that, uh, twist his wrist hard enough, he'll stay right beside me and kind of help me balance. Yeah. But uh, I've been doing it for, I guess, it's uh, probably the last, 35 or 40
0: years anyway Well Mike I wanted to ask you a personal question About your motivation and any advice you have Really for people of all ages Maybe especially for for older people Because you're in tremendous physical condition And obviously in, in visiting with you On the show here today You have a great positive mental attitude uh, Tell us a little bit about Your philosophy for life Both physically and mentally And what keeps you motivated every day
2: well, in the as far as the wrestling business, you know, yeah, I, I, I tell this to people all the time, and, and a lot of guys will never understand this. You will. You're you're been in you're in the business, so you're going to understand it. I realized when I was full time, you know, at first you get a lot of bookings. You know, we were two years of full time. Me and my partner were tag team champions, and we were working every night, three or four times on Saturday. Well, after a year or so, those bookings dropped from about seven down to five, and then five down to three, and three down to two, and one. You're, you know, you're kind of old news. And so when I went to Atlanta TV and got that got that push at Atlanta TV, you know, I knew I knew that I wasn't going to be very big. I knew that. I, that I wasn't going to be a superstar like some of those I would love to be in, but I was just a good, and now they call it enhancement now. Enhancement sure. guy now. But I was a job guy. Right. And I, you got guys like me and George South, yep. and Gary Royal, and, and guys that that, that that got, but but what we did was an amazing thing. We helped mate guys that needed help.
0: No doubt. Like the road
2: warriors. They only put me with the road warriors every week, and he said, said, man, you got to teach these guys how to work, they'll kill somebody. well, I'm the one who was getting killed every week, but little bit by little bit, and they both came back to me and told me how much they appreciated me. One, t- you know, uh, over the years, you know, even Animal came and asked me one time at a show. He said, "I want you to be my tag team partner." Hawk didn't make it. And I thought, man, how, you know, they they respected that, mm-hmm. but I knew that I was I, what I was going to be. And, and you know, some of the guys left. You know, I had 35 guys working for me at one time, and we'd go do TVs all over the country. And they'd say, "I'm not a job guy doing that." I said, "Okay, well, then you're out." We had the right attitude, or I did. Some of them didn't, but I had the right attitude. I knew what I was there for. My job was to make this guy the very best he could be because he was going to go to the Omni or he was going to go to the Superdome or he was going to go somewhere big, and he had to draw money or he was going to be fired. I mean, his job was to put seats in the seats. I was the opening match. But through doing that... I got to work, you know, at the Omni Superdome, uh, the, uh, the big civic centers. I mean, I, I was the first or second match, but I like that. I, even though on independent shows nowadays, I don't do main event. If they come up and say, well, your last match, I say, no, put me second or third. I want to get it while the people are fresh. I don't want to wait till they're all spelled
0: out. Sure. But,
2: you know, I knew what I was. I accepted it. You know, you know it, Rock comes up with all these little one-liners. Yep. And if all the guys in this business, especially the young guys in this business— would, would just stop and listen to him, and he's telling us stuff behind the scenes. He said, know your role. Well, I knew it. In the 74, I realized I'm a job guy, and that's what I'm going to be because I'm not. they're not going to put me on the top of the Omni. That's Tommy Rich's job. That's the superstar's job. My job is to go out there and do the very best I can, and they respected that. And the guys respected me. And a lot of guys, I mean, they come. You talk about Ric Flair. I mean, Ric Flair asked to work for me, with me several times because he knew it would be a good match. And sure. He knew I'd, I'd be there whenever, whenever he needed. You
0: know? Mike, uh, all these years in the ring, I know you're in tremendous physical condition, but what's your body feel like when you wake up in the morning after taking bumps for 50 years? Well...
2: You know I've got some ailments like everybody else I've got some bad knees and I got a bad hip that probably ought to have been replaced I've had uh, a rot uh, I'm supposed to have rotator cuff surgery uh, twice but i I never went so I haven't gone but I have my aches and pains like everybody else but I figured if I'd played football it'd been the same if I'd have played baseball it'd been the same you know uh, so i i i do I'm, I still love it And, uh, you know, I'm still out there doing it, and I'm going to keep on doing it until the good Lord says, well, that's enough. You can't
0: do it anymore. Well, you found your passion, didn't you, Mike? I mean, you found that uh, the passion and something that you really love to do, and you've been doing it all these years. You know, a lot of people go through life, and and they never really find that thing. I guess you must feel blessed that you've found it, and you've been able to do it all these years. I really
2: have I, again, the God's blessed me so much in this thing, and he's let me do this for this many years, and nobody does this this many years. But the bottom line of, the bottom line of the thing is, you know I love what I do, but it's a business to me. I make sure sure that even though it's a love, my hobby, I love fishing, I love playing softball. That's two of my big things that I do all the time. That's for fun. This is a business, but I still love it as much as I did the first day I ever got involved in. I, you know it it really means a lot to me. and it's made me a good living. I've met a lot of people, I've been to a lot of places. I've traveled I, you know I've done a lot of great stuff and if i if I didn't get to do a thing tomorrow, I'd be like Lou Gehrig. i'd be I'd be the luckiest man in the world. you know i I've done everything I've ever really wanted to accomplish.
0: Well, you talked about uh, your beliefs and your Christianity, and you grew up in a religious family. Your father was a minister, is that right?
2: He, he he just passed away about four months ago. Oh, wow. But he, had, he had been a pastor for, for probably 75 years. He was a uh, he really he inspired me. He was a good man. That's amazing. Yeah, and and I, I believe in the good Lord. The Lord's blessed me. And, you know, the best thing I ever did was when I gave my life over to the Lord. And uh, George South's the same way. Yep. Uh, George South, you mentioned him the other day. He's a good friend of mine. And, me and George did a lot of stuff over the years and you know George is, is, is a devout Christian and, and you know and, and there are some like Ted DiBiase Sting some of those guys you know that were willing to, to share, share God with people in the dressing room and you know read the Bible and just different things like that Ted DiBiase still speaks at church I've been on some shows with him mm-hmm. so You know, there's a place for everything.
0: Yeah, George is a friend of the show. We've had him on a number of times. He's a great guy living over in Charlotte, and uh, I owe him a call. So I'm glad you mentioned him, and uh, we'll get George back on the show one of these days. Mike, as we uh, wrap things up, if folks would like to learn more about you, uh, where can they find out more information on Action Mike Jackson? Well, I
2: would love for them to give me a call anytime. my phone number is – can I give my phone number? Sure, if you'd like to. Absolutely. Yeah. It's 205 I live in Birmingham. It's 205-936-9050. I've got, I've got some really nice DVD tapes uh, of matches with me and Rick. As a matter of fact, that match with me and Rick. Clare. As a matter of fact, me and Ivan Koloff is on there. I've got uh, matches with me and Jake the Snake tag teaming and Tommy Rich tag teaming, uh, Jerry Lawler tag teaming and cage matches. So I've got DVDs, I've got T-shirts, and I've got some really nice pictures. I would love to, to give some out to some of these people. So if they'd call me, I'll sure...
0: That sounds great, and we'll pass that number along again. That's action, Mike Jackson. Thank you so much for sharing your wonderful stories with us today. You truly are a great inspiration to people. We appreciate your time so much, and we can't wait to see you competing on national television again with Impact Wrestling on Access.
2: I'm hoping so, and and, and hopefully the Charlotte Fan Fest is going to go this year. They've already booked the since July this year, the end of July, and I'm hoping that they will get to go this year like it did last year. So.
1: I'm looking forward to
0: coming to the Carolinas. Well, we look forward to having you here. That's Action Mike Jackson, one of the real legends in professional wrestling.
1: What another great episode today of the Pirate Radio Podcast with the voice, Jeff Charles, and his special guest, Action Mike Jackson. Special thanks to our sponsor, White Claw Hard Seltzer. Look for White Claw at your favorite retailer next time you're out shopping. White Claw Hard Seltzer, available in five fruit flavors, has two grams of carbs, is gluten-free, and only has 100 calories. And nothing tastes quite like it. We'll be back very soon with another edition of the Pirate Radio podcast. In the meantime, be sure to subscribe to our podcast in your Apple store. You can visit our website at pr927fm.com and you can follow us on social media at pr927fm to keep up with the latest news and information. Until next time, have a great day, everyone.
0: You have been listening to the Pirate Radio Podcast, brought to you by White Claw Hard Seltzer. Nothing tastes quite like it. Visit whiteclaw.com today. White Claw Hard Seltzer, proudly distributed by Coastal Beverage. Please drink responsibly. The Pirate Radio Podcast is an
1: exclusive presentation by Pirate Radio, the voice of the Pirate Nation.